0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast, created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthew.3cr.org.au.
1: This program was produced on the lands of the Kulin Nation and I want to pay my respects to their elders past and present and recognise the ongoing impacts of colonisation in lands of the Kulin Nation, as well as right across the country. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. You are listening to Stick Together. Stick Together is a show that brings you union news workers issues and social justice campaigns and issues from right across the country my name is james brennan and if you're listening to this around the time of its recording it's right now that right towards the end of the year and i hope that you're able to enjoy some of the summer festivities if you are in somewhere warm and sunny we've got one more show before the end of the year uh this will be my last show for the year. And I want to thank all the guests that have been a part of the show throughout the year. Sam, Ben, Tom, Chris, Annette, Jerem, Sienna, Mercedes, Zelda, Anthony, Camilla, Alex and Jerry, I really appreciate you giving your time to be part of the show and to be able to tell your stories uh, that we're able to then send right across the country for people to listen to. And I think over the last couple of years with COVID lockdowns and all of those kind of things, it's just really ha- highlighted the importance of things like community radio. So to be able to tell some of your stories, to be able to hear about the education system in Australia, I produced an education series at the start of the year that looked at the education system in Western Australia, Victoria, Canberra, New South Wales, and Queensland, uh, both currently and historically, and looking at some of the changes that have happened over the last few decades. Focusing on some of the policy issues that happened, with the Gonski report and the things that happened from that, that report and the funding and everything that came from that. Uh, Chris and Tom's book, Waiting for Gonski really shines a light on some of the important changes that need to happen to kind of take those next steps to support education across the country. Uh, We heard from Annette just a few weeks ago now, uh, she was preparing for the IPAN national conference, which took place in Canberra. Uh, We had some focus on both the, Victorian state election uh, with Jerem Small was a candidate there, and we spoke to him on the campaign trail just after he had done uh, a big stint on some picket lines and on the campaign trail there. And we heard from Zelda and Anthony about the Blockade Australia protest that had happened in Sydney earlier this year at an event that we held, a live event, and we heard from Alex Bainbridge around what campaigning for climate change might look like under the Labor government. And we also heard from Camilla Emanuel, who was speaking about the Roe v Wade decision in the United States and what that might look like here. Uh, in her work as an abortion doctor, she was able to really shine uh, a lot of information on, on what the circumstances look like in Australia now and that was one of my favorite interviews of the year and so i'm going to play some of that again for you today as we kind of wrap things up for the year i wanted to kind of reflect a little bit there on some of the things we've been through through the year and it's really great to be able to cover so many topics like i said from people that are campaigning right across the country if you've got any issues at your workplace in your union or campaigns that you're involved in please get in touch with us at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com And we would love to hear your stories and do our best to share those with people across the country. Thank you to the other presenters. Uh, You know, you're always producing great shows and recommend anyone to jump onto wherever you listen to podcasts or to the 3CR website to listen to any of the back episodes of the ones that I just mentioned. Uh, But from the other presenters as well, there's some really great shows covering topics that were, you know, topical at the time, but also really important and interesting for us to look back on, and maybe we've got some time over summer to listen to a few podcasts as you're getting along with things. I need to thank also 3CR for their support through uh, the studio and their support throughout the year as well, and to the Community Radio Foundation for your continued support in helping us to put together, stick together, which has been a long-running, fantastic show. And when I come back uh, at the end of the interview, I'm going to play a song from Midnight Oil from their album Resist. And I hope that you keep resisting right over the summer and into next year where we'll be back producing lots of great shows and lots of great content. Um, So until next time, stick together. On this week's show we are speaking with Kamala Emanuel and she is an abortion rights activist and a women's health doctor and we're speaking with her about the roe v wade decision in the united states and what this means uh, in australia for women seeking to get abortions here
0: this has been something that has been decades in the coming uh decades in the making uh and so there's been this specific thing the the um attack in the supreme court but i think we we need to see the wider context it's been operating in uh the the backlash against women's liberation since it even began Mm -hmm. Uh, so 73 was the Roe versus Wade ruling that established that there is a constitutional protection for abortion but then uh, so clinics were established services have been established and and operating so threats and physical intimidation violence against people attending clinics clinic workers murder arson attacks fire bombings Um, these these physical actions have um, have been one wave of things that has led to clinic closures and services closures and people who might have wanted to attack clinics uh, well, sorry might have wanted to attend clinics uh, needing to access services being intimidated out of attending um and just the intimidation of of, um, of harassment uh on a lower scale but still real and and, and psychologically harmful and do you, you
1: think to, you know like even at the moment i think we've got a us that's very divided And, you know, there's a lot Mm. of, uh, you know, I guess even hate that is from Mm. both sides, the left and the right. Do you think that plays an impact in, you know, the kind of things that we may see? You know, already we've seen clashes in in the US and
0: I I think there's, I mean, a real need to mobilise, to defend people trying to access clinical care, like like we're just physically shielding them from physical attacks as well as, uh, you know, abuse and 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 so forth so of clinics has been completely essential and so it's no no wonder if if in response to to the vitriol and and as i say the 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 murder and and fire bombings and so so on there's kind of no no surprise that um people have have seen it necessary to to defend themselves and 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 that that level of of Hatred and violence directed at people requiring abortion services has certainly led to um has uh, certainly been a part of this pol- polarisation that happens in the US.
1: We might all know we, we might have seen or been a part of supporting people to um you know go to clinics themselves or to um, outside of protests and things like that. You know in Victoria we've had legislation put in um, by Fiona Patton to stop people from protesting, having exclusion zone around um, mm-hmm. clinics and things mm-hmm. like that. It's one of the few places I think that. You know, in these kind of in countries like the U.S. And, and Australia, where we need to have these things, you know, I don't, Absolutely. I can't really think of many other places other than you know military buildings and things that the government might put a, oh. those kind of things where where that really happens.
0: But in terms of yeah, what what civilian human beings like just people trying to just go about their lives, yeah, this is it really is, and and the, I think something that does stand out about the difference between Australia and the U.S is that state after state has been enacting legislation to protect people from harassment as they enter clinics, and and that fits the pattern of what is different in Australia compared to the US, whereas in US, they kind of charged forward with this legal opening, and then there's been this 50-year process of whittling away access and availability of services. In Australia, we didn't have the big breakthrough, but what we have had is step by step by case law and then by legislation, protection and, and opening of access to, to abortion. Um and, and the the wave of legislation establishing bubble zones, safe zones, whatever you'd like to call them around clinics has has been a part of that pattern and kind of the The latest of the the things to kind of fall into place and so I think that while we have to take seriously here in Australia the attack on abortion access in the United States and and we have to recognize that an attack you know an attack anywhere is an attack on us all and emboldening the right and the conservative anti-abortion forces in the U.S. does embolden the right and the conservative anti-abortion forces in Australia Mm. but the momentum is still on our side The momentum is still on the side of promoting access, providing access, making it possible for for people to gain the access that should be theirs by right, should have been theirs by right for decades, hasn't been. So it's been inadequate that it's taken so long to reach this point, but the momentum still is in our favour. And actually, I think quite excitingly, um, this is still even being borne out as, as late as on Friday night, where in Queensland, a member of the state government attended the huge 2,000-person strong protest that happened in Mianjin, Brisbane, to let us know that actually abortion is going to be available in the public hospitals in Gladstone and Rockhampton, where um, recently private providers pulled out of Rockhampton and it has been this this void and it hasn't been good enough and it should have happened sooner but you know impressively excitingly um and just as it should be it it is uh, happening and so I think this bears out the idea that We've still got forward momentum and and I think it bears out the idea that we've got to keep pressing that home.
1: It, in some ways, it's a very kind of sobering and, and depressing sort of state that something that was legislated nearly 50 years ago can be, you know, swound back. Well, we had some really great protests over the little while since the overturning of Roe v Wade. But one of the things that come out from those protests was people speaking about the issues that we face in australia for people seeking abortions can you talk about that
0: yeah for sure and it really is a matter of the like a lot of the practicalities and there really there really is a class and and other kind of dimension to it where people who might experience various forms of of oppression or marginalization uh, or exclusion uh, find can can find it harder to access the abortion care they need. Um, so there's there are things like, say for instance, in Queensland last year, one of the main provi- uh, private abortion providers in Australia closed their Townsville, Rockhampton, and Gold Coast clinics in Queensland, and in New South Wales, their their Newcastle clinic. Um, and so that for for most people needing abortion care. In Queensland, that means that abortion care is pretty. What's the word? Um, concentrated in the southeast corner now. Uh, so that those were surgical facilities. So medical abortions still. That's. I mean, that's another question. Um, and, and it's sort of again, kind of patchy access. But what that has meant is people travelling from all across the state uh, to south, to Brisbane to be able to access surgery when they need it. Or sometimes, um, sometimes it works out better in a bizarre kind of twist. To, um, to cross the border and, and get care in, in New South Wales, somehow that sometimes <laughs> has made more sense over the, the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, um, I mean, just, when you think about being distant from your community, your support networks, the cost, um, the inconvenience, the need to do things like organised childcare, I mean, this, for some people, those become insurmountable barriers to getting the abortion care they need, and some people end up having um, to continue a pregnancy that they had decided they would not be able to, um, and and then that brings all the, the burdens of it that that brings, and and for some people it's you know yeah it's it's a it's a lot of money, it's accommodation, it's it's a whole lot of things like that just to to get to care. For other people, it can be you know obstacles put in their way deliberately by doctors or, or others who are opposed to abortion care and. I can think of—I uh, mean, I, it was some someone who stands out for me, and this is just—it's it's one person, but it's not at all someone who was unique. This is when I was working in in WA, where um, the law says that a doctor who's not the doctor providing the abortion or not connected to uh, providing the abortion, so not the anaesthetist either, in the case of surgical abortion, um, someone else, a different doctor, has to provide information so that the patient can give informed consent. What that's usually interpreted to mean is a different doctor has to do a referral. And uh, I can remember one patient in particular whose doctor referred her actually to an antenatal clinic, which is completely inappropriate. It, it, because, of her, because of her lack of mobile phone coverage in this regional area, it took ages for her to, to get a, an appointment confirmed there. And when she finally got there, they said, well, we can't help you. Um, so then she was pushed back to try to go back into the kind of um, you know roundabout to, to try to find access to uh, an abortion provider. Someone else I can think of who um, who saw like five different doctors before they could get the doctor who would do the referral. Every extra week of delay in accessing you know medical care for abortion, like to to be able to access the um, procedure, is an extra week's worth of potential risks because the um, while it is a very safe procedure and it's you know up until the you know 12 13 14 weeks of pregnancy it's around about 10 times safer on average than than continuing a pregnancy so it's it's an extremely safe thing but there is a difference between having a surgical termination at uh, six weeks of pregnancy compared with at 12 weeks or, or and, and certainly more, more and more as as each extra week beyond that goes mm. and not only that but the cost also starts to rise so if you're going through the private services you can be paying thousands of dollars if you have to have a second trimester abortion so after depends on how you count it but up let's say after 14 weeks you, you yeah, you can be paying for paying several thousands of dollars for the abortion care that you need and if if the reason you're late accessing care is not because you didn't stick your hand up and say, please, can someone provide me with this care, but because um, other people have decided for you that they're going to put obstacles in your way, then it's... You know every version you can think of is unfair, and and they're they're just they're just kind of a couple of, of examples. But being in in regional or remote communities without access to to care is one thing. Yeah, so they're they and it's just there's this postcode lottery that um, that we talk about where. In some, like I can remember when I was involved in um, the abortion rights campaign in Tasmania in the early 2000s at around the time that all the hospital abortions stopped and and the the freestanding feminist-run private clinic had had to close its doors. Uh, Around then I I met a um, doctor who had worked in regional Victoria, now at, at the local hospital where she had worked. Um, they had a pro- provided abortion because that was just you know like of course it, of course you did um and and that was just what what was done whereas in many many other places that I know of of course you didn't um and and i've i've tried referring patients to um, a public hospital when they have not been suitable for for having their care in the private setting i've tried to refer to a public hospital that does you know tertiary abortion care. sorry tertiary maternity care and obstetric they've got the obstetric you know they've got all the skills and, and capacity and the whole thing and just being told by you know doctor on the end of the line with this whole stigmatizing thing oh we don't do that here so so it's it's whether you like there are just uh in your rule potential obstacles from, from when you walk in the door to ask your GP, can they help you find a, a provider? And the truth is, you know, medical abortion exists in Australia. The, the, the two medications that can be used to bring on abortion, it's on the, the pharmaceutical benefits scheme, finally, after a long time of being not available, but it is. Um, any doctor can do the four-hour or so um online course to get registered to be allowed to prescribe it and it's not onerous um you know there's a lot of useful information in the course uh it does help make sure that it's done safely so any any doctor can can do that they can any doctor can write you know a gp or, or um, obstetrician gynecologist can write a a, a an authority prescription so you have to get an authority prescription it's just not just a standard one you can't you know you can't just turn up at the chemist and say hi i'd like the medications for abortion but it's theoretically should be accessible but i, I believe it's something like only eight percent of gps have, have bothered to do it and mm. if we remember that somewhere between sorry i am kind of just throwing this stuff at you no, but no. okay so if you remember that something like um a third of abortions end in termination. Then no GP can say, "Oh, I never thought I'd ever be faced with a patient with this." You know, like it's it's not like, "Oh, never never heard of that strange syndrome." Um, I better go back to the books and look it up. No, this mm. is this is um this is routine. It's routine, and and for the same reason, it should be routine in our hospitals. It should be routinely provided by our GPs, and um and it should be being. Uh, you know and, and given that the stigma and given the the obstacles that people do put up to care and so on our our state and federal governments should be establishing dedicated services with dedicated staff to provide the clinical care with dignity respect and excellence in, in any jurisdiction in Australia can can get it because there shouldn't be barriers like it's not available in my my locality or it's not available, you know, it's not available in my public hospital. You can go and have your appendix removed. You can go and um, give birth to your baby. Um, Mm. You can have your, you know, other pregnancy-related care in the public hospital why wouldn't the public hospital system
1: you know provide your abortion care if you need it what do you think those prohibitive factors come down to I mean it's really hard to you know put a generalization across what Mm -hmm. is you know it's Mm -hmm. it's very deliberately described as individual's choice um, as in the doctor's individual um, Mm -hmm. and other medical professionals like individual choices but I mean I guess the two obvious things are about you know the influence of religion and you know and i mean i guess the, the main thing is really just about the kind of structures of of sexism and patriarchy that mm. exist in society but yeah there's still yeah. you know i mean there's lots of women who are doctors as well and you know mm, there's mm, lots mm. of i mean i think those yeah. that kind of that aspect is perhaps not as obvious as it might have been mm. in the past with mm. um not as many kind of male figures you know being gatekeepers mm. of these kind of information i mean still yeah. very yeah. much are but yeah, I don't know. What do you what like what's your experience seen as like those kind of factors you know, there? Yeah.
0: One of the things that I think is a is an important factor is to look at the history of abortion service provision in Australia partly because of the criminality well, you know the the colonies each inherited the british law in its various versions so each state or territory um when they were established you know adopted the penal code from britain in whatever stage it was at the time and they included um various versions of offenses against morality or offenses against the person and abortion was was stuck in there somewhere and um and so it, it meant that, um, you, you know, say let's look it up to the like the 50s or so, abortion was was a crime. Um, in in the places where doctors started working with the um, abortion rights movement, like, and I think of particularly, um, you know, his name escapes me for a second, but hopefully it'll come to me. But the um, but Weiner um, from from Victor, who was in Victoria, and and other doctors as well, who. Um, who wanted to stand against the kind of illegal on-the-take corrupt because there was a whole lot of corruption in it because it was all underground and, and um, there were doctors paying off cops to, to um, hide bodies and it was just a terrible, terrible, uh, mm. tragic, um, ghastly situation. Well, when, um, when steps started being taken to make clinical services more accessible and then bit by bit case law made it made openings and room for safe abortion to be practiced it still remained in the hands of private providers by and large and so the the skills and um, the the skills and the clinical settings tended to be in this in this sort of private niche and and I think it's that history of being provided in the, the private freestanding niche that meant that even as the legal space has opened, it's been possible for, for hospitals to have this kind of attitude of we don't do that here. You know, like that's someone else is already doing that. Um and we certainly don't want to stretch our budget to mm. have to include that as well. So I think you know, we're we're currently, even though abortion's sort of been decriminalized and um it's legal now in, in so many places. That if without um, direct implementation of additional funding to say, yeah, now you do that, now this is core business, you must do it. Without that, then it remains in the hands of, yeah, what has been pretty patriarchal ONG. Um, <laughs> like there's so there are some marvellous people in in obstetrics and gynecology. There are some terrible heads of departments and you know, hospital administrators whose whose decision is, no, we're not going to be doing that here. And you can I've I've met uh, ONGs who wanted to do uh, wanted to provide, willing to provide abortions, but told by, you know, some administrator, oh, no, that's that's not a service we're, we're going to let you do. The Global Doctors for Choice uh, wrote a great paper about conscientious refusal of care and, and the many, many parts of the whole health system that mm. it operates in to prevent people from accessing the um, abortion and in some cases contraception care that mm. they need. Uh, yes, yeah, so whether it's... Um, And so legislators are one part, hospital administrations are another, doctors are another, nurses are another, anaesthetists are another, like pharmacists can be another, like there's just um, kind of innumerable um, places that refusal to participate in care is possible. And that's why there needs to be like a proactive decision. To make it possible now in in Sweden there's a kind of a blanket thing of there's no such thing as saying no we don't do that there's just not (laughs) um Mm. there's no such thing and the the laws in um certainly Victoria I think and um like so some of the, the the sort of new round of laws have made it that you certainly can't refuse care when the pregnant person's life is at stake that's not okay anymore but yeah uh, in other circumstances it is still permissible to refuse care and what that means is while you can have individual human beings with a conscience and they can operate according to their conscience and you can criticize the decision to let that happen but okay even if we're going to say yeah that's possible you can't say an institution has a conscience no Mm-hmm. no you can't have any any institution that receives public funding and of course i'm looking at the Catholic hospitals here mm-hmm. um uh and other religious kind of run hospitals any institution that receives public money for health care and particularly if it's got anything to do with women's health there can't be such a thing as saying no we don't do that here they're, they're, they're just we so we we have to um while we're while we've kind of we've got work to do to um have you know medical students, nurses, midwives, um, you know anesthetists, pharmacists. Well, we have work to do to um to to raise awareness of, of why women's autonomy is means that <laughs> and, and pregnant people's autonomy is 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 something that must be defended if you're going to be an advocate for any patients and if you're going to operate as a healthcare practitioner. So we've got we've got work to do to just make this, of course. But in the meantime, we have to operate. We, we have to establish and open and fund and operate, you know, centres centres that do this deliberately, recruit people who are going to provide the, the care with the dignity and respect and compassion that, that everyone needs.
1: You've been listening to Stick Together. I've been your host, James Brennan. Again, thank you to all the guests throughout the year. Thank you to the Community Radio Foundation and wherever you might be listening to this. I hope that you have a great break and stick together. Don't forget to join your union now and all week. And this song is called We Resist.
0: Putting flowers into God. This is not the summer of love, throwing tea
1: into the sea, indigenous apology only. It's a storm without end, where's the lighthouse, where's a friend, come to think
0: it can't
1: last, only And labor rights, women's vote and hunger strikes, war is over in Times Square. Don't say that nobody cares Standing up to those who sell fear With a polite insistence to hear The storm
0: without end.
1: Where's the lighthouse? Where's a friend?
0: Come to think.